Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What do the prophet Amos, John the Baptist, and Pastor Bob Gerke have in common? I know that sounds like the start of a joke, but sadly it's not, uh, especially with what happened at the Lakeside service this last weekend. And if you didn't attend that service, don't worry, I'll fill you in. But to answer the question of what they all have in common, I'd like to first turn to our Old Testament and Gospel lessons for today to see, to see if you can figure it out. Uh, first, we have Amos. Amos, who comes from a time after King David, after the North and South Kingdoms had split into two. Now, Amos is from the Southern Kingdom, and he goes north to the Northern Kingdom to share with them God's word. It was also during this time that the northern kingdom had been practicing worshiping another god at Bethel, and they had turned from God. And Amos is calling them out on that. He is telling them to repent, to to change their ways, or God will hold them accountable. We know after the fact that this came true as the the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians just 40 years later. But it was during this time that Amos was talking that we, an ex- we see an exchange happen here between Amos and Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. And he tells Amos, and I'm paraphrasing here, go back to where you came from. We don't want you here. We can't stand to listen to what you have to say. But it wasn't Amos that was doing the talking, was it? I mean, sure, his mouth was the one moving, but the words, the words were God's. And he, it was God who was calling these sinful people back to repent and to return as his chosen people. But despite Amaziah telling Amos to go, he doesn't. And actions are not without consequences. One commentary I read said, The prophet, referring to Amos here, the prophet's refusal to knuckle under evokes bitter opposition and earns him the label of communal pariah. Such is the life of a prophet of God. And then we have John the Baptist. And honestly, things haven't gotten any better for the prophets of God. In fact, they've actually gotten worse. Earlier in John's ministry, we see him baptizing and calling people to repentance John is even known for baptizing Jesus. But now, in today's gospel lesson, we see John imprisoned by King Herod. And he got there because of what he said about Herod's marriage to Herodias. Technically, she was married to Herod's brother, well, half-brother, and she divorces him so she could be with Herod. Also, Herod divorced his wife so he could be with Herodias. And you might be thinking, okay, so what, right? This kind of thing happens. It's not that common, but, eh, you know. What you might not know is that both of Herodias' husbands were also technically her uncles. Ew, right? And John said, quote, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, and I think I'd have to agree with John. But of course, Herodias doesn't want this to, have, uh, to be said about her, and so she strategically waits for an opportune time to, to dispense of John the Baptist, 
since she doesn't have the authority to have him killed on her own. And because John spoke God's truth, this got him into trouble. At first, Herod imprisoned John to protect him. But now, in order to save face in front of his guests at his birthday party, Herod honors the request of a 10-year-old girl who asks for the head of John the Baptist to be delivered on a platter, a request prompted by her mother. And sadly, Herod makes good on his promise. But what does this have to do with Pastor Bob, right? How does he fit in with these two people? Now, granted, Pastor Bob is not a communal pariah, and thankfully his head is still intact. But as I alluded to earlier, we had something happen at our lakeside service, something that in the nearly 50 years that South Shore Trinity has been doing the lakeside services has never happened before, at least to my knowledge, and I've asked around. You see, what had happened was during the reading of God's Word, specifically the reading of the gospel lesson by Pastor Bob, we had a young man sporting a mohawk, wearing American flag swimming trunks, purposely try to interrupt the worship service. As he began to pull away from the shore in his boat, he yelled loudly, all hail Satan. Then he yelled an expletive that I won't be repeating. And as he drove away in his boat, he yelled, woo, over and over again until he was out of earshot. And though Pastor Bob was the one reading God's word, I'm guessing this young man's reaction to God's word was meant for all us Christians that were gathered there that day. In a way, we were all recipients of his revile. Now, if we were meeting for something like a, a Boy Scout award ceremony or, or a family reunion, I highly doubt that this young man would have acted in the same way or yelled the same things. But I want you to realize, it's the word of God that elicited his response, and that's because God's word has power. His word has, has power to convict. His word has power to create faith through the Holy Spirit. And because of that power, strong reactions are just simply, simply part of it. Now, before we can move on to what all this means I'm thinking you might still be trying to process this information. Because of this young man's comments, maybe, maybe you're feeling hurt or defensive or attacked or, or insulted in some way. Or maybe you're thinking that this young man hates you because you are Christian. And to be honest, he might. He might actually hate you. But listen to what Jesus says in Mark 13, 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You see, Jesus is talking about us, right? He's talking about Amos and, and John the Baptist. He's talking about all who preach and share God's word to a world that feels they're just better off without it. And this isn't some other country. This isn't hundreds or thousands of years ago. This is literally our backyard, literally last weekend. 
You see, it is the powerful word of God that makes the difference. That's why Amos and John and us are hated. And because of this, the world that hates us cannot, cannot fathom why we want to be part of this religion. But it's because of God's word, his telling us of what God has done for us in the sending of his son, Jesus, that makes all the difference. It's Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. It's Jesus exiting the tomb, resurrected from the dead. It's trusting in the witness of those who followed after him. It's the message of love, of forgiveness, of belonging, of being chosen that makes all the difference. Sadly, if the guys on the boat would have stayed and listened, they too would have heard what the word of God truly says, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, and that we followers of Jesus are just in need of saving just as much as the rest of the world. No, instead they were convicted. They were guilty. They were hurt. They couldn't even be in the presence of God on account of their actions and attitudes. But this is self-inflicted exclusion. Because God's word also tells us that, that God truly does want all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And that includes these Beachgoers, God wants them too. Which leads me to my next question. Who then is our enemy? Is it the guy disrupting the worship service? Is it Amaziah? Is it Herodias? No. No, it's Satan. It's Satan. He's the guy that, when it comes to God's word, says, hey, look over here. Don't pay attention to God. Look at me. And sadly, that's, that's the reality for Christians and non-Christians alike. Because the truth is, even though we have been given this gift of God's love letter to his bride, the church, that's us, we don't faithfully spend time studying and being shaped by his word. We instead find other things to fill our time with. We are distracted and misdirected. We are forgetful and lack focus, all the while missing what God wants us to hear about him and his love. So your homework for the week, yes, I'm giving you homework, is to write down or to somehow track how many minutes you spend in front of a screen. Computer, TV, phone, tablet, movie theater, video game, whatever. And then I want you to compare that number to how many minutes you spend reading and listening to God's word. I'm guessing many of you already know how those two numbers will match up. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but rather I'm just trying to help give some perspective. One last observation I'd like to share with you from our gospel lesson is just a quick note on the context. If you rewind just seven verses earlier in the text, you get another little story. And this story is about how Jesus sends out the 12 apostles and he sends them out two by two. 
And it says in verse 12, So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And then the very next thing in the Bible is the start of today's Bible reading. And then right after our Bible reading from today, it says that the apostles returned. So sandwiched between the sending and the return of the people that Jesus sent out to proclaim, we get this vivid and, and gruesome account of what happens to people who do go out and proclaim, who share the word of God. What's interesting is that most of these 12 apostles that Jesus sent out would eventually die a martyr's death. But they died sharing the good news of Jesus, who also died for you. And that's because this message that they were proclaiming is for you to hear. It's for you to listen to and believe in that Jesus did die on the cross, paying the price so you won't have to. And so it's with that in mind that we go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the faithful people who have passed that word on to us, that we may believe and come to the knowledge of truth. And we ask that you give us words to proclaim, to share your love, that others may believe in you too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.